what you can go to Lenore North Carolina it's in the shadow of Grandfather Mountain just off the Blue Ridge Parkway beautiful country mm-hmm. so as you can go up there and live uh, and preach for those good people it's about 15 months until your next school year starts uh, you can probably get married and that will be your honeymoon year up there. Yeah. <laughs> and after that year, you will know, I don't want to do this for my life. <laughs> or... Welcome back to our first episode of Meet the Ministers. Uh, I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Alec Robinson. Hey, how's it going? Going good. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Great. It's uh, early in the morning, but glad to be here. Yeah, we are very excited. Today, we have our very first interview, and that is with Mr. Grady Miller. Mr. Miller was baptized October 1964, and Grady has preached at big and small congregations since 1970. That's over 50 years in ministry. Yeah, before my time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's been at it for just a little bit. Grady has been with Pikes Peak, and that's where we are right now, Pikes Peak Church of Christ, since 2001, and that's just over 20 years. Grady holds two degrees, one from Fried Hardeman and a master's from Southern Christian University. He conducted mission meetings with small congregations in the South to try to help those congregations, and he's also had several uh, interactions with the Navajo Reservation to help with that mission as well. Grady, we are very, very thankful that you are here with us today. Glad to be here and happy to sit down and chat with you fellas for a little while. Uh, Thank a lot of you and the good work that you're doing. So let's go. All right, let's do (laughs) it. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So very first, what was your upbringing like? I had a good, solid upbringing for which I'm very thankful and increasingly more so as the years pass by and I think in so many ways the story of my story and maybe a lot in my generation is typical and listening to you fellas chat things that I know that you share we all share together Mm -hmm. Uh, had a good Christian father Mm -hmm. and mother Mm -hmm. and uh, they taught me early in life to love the Lord and that we are to be busy and fruitful in whatever way we can. And some of that uh, is in the public eye, and a lot of it is behind the scenes. Yeah. But yeah. that's the life that we live. So we were the Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Every day of the week, gospel meeting or revival going, mm-hmm. plus work days. And I think it's fair to say that our life revolved around the church and barbecue and football. <laughs> so uh, The three staples. So right? where, where did you grow up exactly? Uh, West Tennessee mostly. West Tennessee, uh, okay. Born in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, then we moved to uh, the Memphis area. And then along uh, 1961, my dad really wanted to preach. Mm-hmm. He had wanted to preach as a boy, but World War II got in the way. Mm. And he signed up for the U.S. Navy at the age of 17. They were taking just about everybody yeah, in yeah. those dark days. So his 18th birthday came around, and he was in the South Pacific. And uh, he didn't talk a whole lot about uh, war stories and all those things that a young boy wanted to hear. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, he would mostly say, I spent the war in the South Pacific, uh, never did see Australia or Tahiti or any of those glamorous people, but he was on a destroyer escort. Okay. And he says it would be weeks and weeks and weeks at a time of boredom and routine. 
And then every now and then, a few minutes of heart-stopping <laughs> excitement <laughs> and adrenaline. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, hurt his back uh, and came out uh, of the war discharge needing back surgery. Uh, he was disabled. But when his back was good, he was 100%. And when his back went out, he was 100% in bed. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. his back didn't go out that often. He came out of the war and went to work for the post office, the rail post office. And you may not know it, but before there was such a thing as zip codes and all the modern delivery system that we have today, all the mail went by train. And there were clerks in the mail car, and they would sort the mail by town. And they had to memorize every single little town and whistle stop in a particular state. Mm -hmm. And so they would sort the mail and put it in a bag, hang it outside the mail car on a pole, and when they would pass the station, there was a hook that would grab it. Yeah. On the other side of the train, they would pick up the mail that needed to be sorted as they went along. So he spent several years uh, going to Chicago and some other places sorting the mail. And, and he was moving on up in the food chain, uh, doing pretty well. But he wanted to preach. Yep. And... Like I say, uh, World War II and some bad feelings got in the way. Uh, kind of hard for us to understand today the ill will that yeah. people had toward the Japanese yeah. and some of our enemies in that day. But he, after 15 years or so, came to grips with that and decided uh, he would go to Freed Hardeman College in West Tennessee. And they had a three-year program for preachers. Mm -hmm. He had to take a little biology. And he had to take a little history and uh, those things just to get the degree. But it was very heavy Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, not all that uh, dissimilar to what maybe Bear Valley is doing today with their concentration on biblical Just studies. focus on studies, yeah. So uh, I was entering the third grade and uh, became aware of something brand new in my life. I was now a preacher's kid. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, no. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I remember on the playground, fella coming up with me, uh, Johnny Paul. And Johnny Paul said, Grady, somebody told me that you were a preacher's kid. I told them, no way. You would have told me if that was true. <laughs> and I thought, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah. So uh, being a preacher's kid, uh, the personality that I have, temperament, and because I'm a boy, I don't think it affected me nearly as much as it did my sisters. Yeah. And uh, I knew I was living in a goldfish bowl, but at that time I didn't much give a rip what people were <laughs> exactly seeing or thinking, and I just kind of went about my own way. So uh, Is that kind of when you wanted to maybe be a preacher yourself? Was it too early yet? That, that was way too early. And, okay. you know, uh, one thing my dad... Uh, sometimes commented on, he would say, Grady, you never, ever say what you want to do when you grow up. And he says, every little boy wants to be a fireman, uh, a policeman. Uh, I don't think anybody says, I want to grow up and be a politician. But, uh, you know, I want to <laughs> no be a doctor. person. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know. Uh, and he says, you know, just you never, you never even hint at anything that you would like other than being a ball player yep. and yep. you know that was about it and in the years since I've kind of reflected on that and I think that was kind of take life as it comes uh, one of these days I'll probably go to college I'll probably get married I'll probably find my niche but yep. sounds, sounds a lot like me. <laughs> yeah, you know, why worry about it yeah. until it, it comes along? 
And then I reckon I'll figure it out or the Lord will open a door and push me through it or whatever. So I didn't grow up wanting to be a preacher. I wasn't turned off by my dad's life, the business meetings that he would come in from, (laughs) and uh, some of the comments that I would hear just around town. uh, You know, none of that put me off, but none of it especially attracted me and made me say, this is what I want to do. So I had a pretty average, routine, normal growing up time. And uh, in high school, things kind of started to come together, but preaching wasn't on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd been raised, uh, and, and I believed that uh, anybody that could walk and talk and chew gun at the same time had certain talents. The Lord gives us all talents, mm-hmm. and whatever those are, we use them. And I suppose I envision nothing more than, uh, well, there's brother so-and-so, and and he waits on the table. He leads prayers. I knew early on I wasn't a song leader. Uh, (laughs) Different men get up and make little devotional talks from time to time. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Everybody ought to do that that can. Yeah. I, I know some people are paralyzed with stage fright and some people stutter. And there's reasons why some don't want to get up and take an active part in a public assembly, but I knew that I could. Mm-hmm. And so I just figured that uh, when I grow up, I'll live somewhere and I'll do something. And the local church, I'll be active and help out and yeah. serve in whatever way we can. And so that was pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, how, how old were you when you were baptized? I was 11. 11. So, uh, and what, what convicted you at 11? W.A. Bradfield uh, held a gospel meeting. And uh, people of my generation in the South remember W.A. Bradfield. (laughs) He was about six foot four, had a bald head, had a birthmark on his forehead. Mm -hmm. And he was loud and (laughs) passionate. And his face would turn red and that birthmark would just turn even more of a vivid purple. <laughs> yeah, and, that sounds uh, frightening. Yeah. <laughs> he, would, he would walk up and down the aisles, and uh, the invitation song, after it was over, he'd get back up, say something more, and then I don't know how many verses of how just I am we would wear out in a single <laughs> night, but it was a very evangelistic meeting. And just about all of my age group friends, uh, that was kind of a uh, that was kind of an important thing. And I don't know if I learned anything new during that week long gospel meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I already knew about faith, repentance, confession, baptism, walking with the Lord, yep. uh, but. Uh, He would have a class before uh, the evening assembly for children. And at 11, I was still reckoned as a child. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he kind of put a personal touch. So it wasn't just overwhelming pulpit oratory. It was more, uh, this is who you need to be. And you don't have to be me. You have to be you. But whoever you are. You need to give yourself to the Lord. And so on some emotional level, but also I suppose even more so on a mental level, intellectual level, I I know what I need to do. And there's a time to get started, and my time to get started is now. Mm -hmm. And I'll get started and start to grow. Yep. So uh, that was uh, sixth grade. Yeah. So uh, 
And, uh, and did you start serving in the church right then? In our little West Tennessee congregation, uh, all the fellows that could would uh, lead singing on Wednesday nights once a month. Some of us, uh, we would get the first word out. Yep. And uh, the song leading deacon on the front pew would jump in and carry everything, <laughs> yeah. and we'd just stand up front. Yeah. But uh, it's important, though. It yeah. is. Yeah. And early on, our little congregation, uh, the boys waited on the Lord's table after they were baptized. Mm-hmm. And uh, that made us feel like we were part of the team, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the family, yeah. and that's important. And so. Uh, as a little fella, I started serving in those ways. Uh, we would have Saturday work days where we would re-roof some widow's roof yeah. home yep. and mow grass and uh, and all those things. And the church was very active in that. So mm-hmm. I just pitched in and thought everyone, Everyone did, yeah. except for my heathen friends at school. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, they made fun of you on the playground. <laughs> uh, but that was okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. I made I made fun of them right back yeah, for other things. No. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, you know, it, uh, and, and probably as a personal observation that really ties into my generation, in today's world, I know. I mean, I'll preach and teach that bullying is a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, I grew up at a time that bullying was just every day by everybody. <laughs> if you uh, if you had a cow lick, yeah. Uh, you know, and I don't think anybody really took it personally. Uh, if uh, if you wore a plaid shirt with a stripe on your pants, or if you uh, were in a hurry that morning and you mismatched the color on your sock, uh, what your daddy did, uh, the part of town that you lived in. I mean, we were just all yeah. fair game, and you kind of <laughs> had, you needed to have a thick skin. Yeah, roll yeah. with the punches there. Yeah. yeah, and know that, you know, this is just what boys do. Uh, <laughs> this is part of growing up. Yeah. Different and, time. It was, and overall, I think it's very good that we've gotten away from that and we're much more sensitive to people's feelings now. But, uh, you know, I can bear witness. I don't think it hurt me. Yeah. And uh, and it probably intensified whatever independent spirit, self-reliance, and, you know, I'm going to make my own way and I don't give a hoot what yeah, yeah. others do. So that's uh, kind of the reliance you need to be a minister, really. Well, maybe looking back, it was <laughs> ministry and training, yeah, and yeah, I would have you. shunned the yeah. thought. Yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, getting so, up into high school, uh, there, in West Tennessee, there are scores of country, rural churches in every county. And most of them don't have a preacher on a full-time basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a rotating volunteer fill-in. Yep. And uh, so from time to time, uh, I would go out to those congregations and make a talk. I would never, ever call it a sermon. <laughs> yeah. But uh, And you said high school. How old were you exactly? Well, I was getting up to be 16, 17. Okay, so driving. Yeah. yeah, and uh, so I would do that, and uh, and a friend of mine would go with me, and uh, and you know uh, I'd lead opening prayer, he'd lead singing, we'd both wait on the table. I'd make a talk, he'd lead another song or two, I'd lead the closing prayer, and you know we just did it all. Yeah, and uh, and again, you know I thought well. I don't know as if I particularly relish this, but it's something that I can do. And uh, and for some reason, others aren't. So, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. And I suppose I had nothing more in mind other than I love to play ball. 
uh, football, if I had been an inch or two taller, I, I would have gone to school on a scholarship. And, okay. and not an SEC powerhouse, but uh, a smaller school. I mean, you play ball and you get a degree. Yeah. And it, yeah. It's, it's a pretty good arrangement. One time the Memphis paper listed me as six foot one and 185 pounds. Mm -hmm. And I thought looking back, if I had been, <laughs> I wouldn't have gone to Freed Hardeman. I wouldn't yeah. have met my wife, Darlene. I yeah. wouldn't be living the life that I am now, probably. Uh, so maybe that was a blessing. Yeah. Uh, I could have gone, but, uh, somewhere like McNeese state yeah. or somewhere like that. Yeah. yeah. So, but getting I into, you did great service right away, right? Traveling yeah. around doing all that. Yeah. Any? But I came from a Freed Hardeman family yeah. where my dad had went and yeah. they were only 20 miles down the road. Yeah. And back in the days when our Christian colleges were two-year colleges, okay, one of the big selling points was, listen, your first two years in college, everybody takes the same courses. Unless you're pre-med and, you know, unless you're in agriculture, unless you've got a uh, specialized field that you want to study, but everybody takes English and history and biology and it doesn't make any difference really where you go those first two years. Mm -hmm. Go to our Christian colleges for the first two years, and then you'll know more what you want to do, what you want to be. And then, you know, you can't go here any longer than two years. Yep. So get a good foundation, an AA degree, and then see what else you want to do. So I thought that made sense. And, I mean, were you leaning towards ministry at that point? Because you've been working. I went to Freed Hardeman, yeah. and I was majoring in radio communications. Okay. Oh, wow. And I was going to be a sportscaster. Oh, there you go. Uh, because I still love ball. Yeah. Uh, and one of my professors uh, did me one of the biggest favors in my life. He put his arm around me and says, Grady, let's talk for a minute. You can go into radio. You can sell advertising. You can go into the technical end. You can go into the management end. But there are some people in this life that will never, ever lose their accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's me. Yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, I, I've been out of Tennessee now since 1991. Good gracious, that's 30 years. Yep. Uh, and I think it has toned down some, but I go to the grocery store. I chat with a lady at the checkout counter. Yeah. And after my first sentence, she says, where are you from? <laughs> so, uh, and he says, you'll never get yep. that smooth radio voice. And he was right. And, uh, and I was still preaching once a month. At a little congregation, they didn't have a glass pane in the window of the building. Uh, they had an old pot-bellied stove in front of the pulpit that they used in the winter. Yeah, My face would roast and turn red, <laughs> and my feet would be freezing behind the pulpit. <laughs> so, you know, it wasn't great shakes, but I was the preacher. Mm -hmm. And so I was doing that, not thinking that it was going to be a lifelong work, but uh, something that I could do to help. Yeah. And I knew that my dad really, really, really wanted me to be a preacher, and he mastered the subtle art of bringing it up every time that he thought that he could get away with it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And prefacing a lot of those comments with, now then, if you do this, Grady. Yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> As and, in, it was your choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my choice. Yeah. Yeah. And he would have loved me and been proud of me if I had gone Regardless, to work on yeah. the railroad. Yeah. Yep. But uh, he, he made that decision late in life. And he says, you know, when you turn 36, you may have a change of heart. Well, you're 18, so... You know, you could cut half the time off that. Yeah, exactly. Declared now, but I wasn't ready to declare. So at Freed Hardeman, I met a girl, and she grew up always wanting to marry a preacher. Ooh. 
and I, I see what's happening here. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't even know how to explain that. Uh, I, I know from my background and some of my other friends I've chatted with, and their dads were preachers. Yeah, uh, they were kind of groomed in a way to do that. But, but you had an example. I mean, your father. I, I yeah. had an example. But how in the world did Darlene, from a little girl, say, you know, I want to marry a preacher one day? But that was her story. Yep. And one of these days you can talk to her, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, there was all that going on. And so I graduated Freed Hardeman after two years. Uh, they were making a change from a two-year college to a four-year college, getting university status. Mm -hmm. And if I was going to keep on in college, I either needed to drop out a year and then go back or transfer. Mm -hmm. And I didn't much want to transfer. I didn't much want to drop out a year either. Mm -hmm. But uh, so I went to work in Murfreesboro, Tennessee for Samsonite, and we did – the folding metal chairs like you yeah. have in every church every fellowship church. Oh, hall. Yeah. And uh, oh, had to wear a hairnet and earplugs and no variety in the job. And you had a quota to make, and I just hated it. Ugh, yeah. And we were, I was in Murfreesboro, and the Kingwood Heights Church supported a mountain congregation up in North Carolina. And their preacher was old and sick and retiring. And they came to me and says, Grady, we can't get anybody to go up there. And you're kind of thinking about dropping out of college for a year. Do you want to work at Samsonite? Or, tell you what, you can go to Lenore, North Carolina. It's in the shadow of Grandfather Mountain, just off the Blue Ridge Parkway. Beautiful country. Mm -hmm. He says, you can go up there and live uh, and preach for those good people. It's about 15 months until your next school year starts. Uh, you can probably get married, and that will be your honeymoon year up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and after that year, you will know, yeah. I don't want to do this for my life. <laughs> or you will know that, yeah, uh, this is kind of what I'm made yeah, to do. The direction you want to go in. And, uh, and all the uh, pieces are coming together. How and old were you at this point? I was 20 years old. 20 years old. Uh, so got married, uh, went up to North Carolina. Uh, and after... So were you, did, you, did you tell your sweetheart... You were a preacher or you were going to be a preacher? I mean, how did you get past that barrier? She saw it probably before I did because <laughs> yeah. I was already preaching every Sunday. Yeah. Okay. She yeah. Knew it. yeah. Little, little country church <laughs> called Sweetwater. All right. Uh, and I won't say I was treading water, but I was doing it because I could do it mm -hmm. and because I loved the Lord and wanted to help. And, Serving uh, his heart. You were just wanting to serve however you yeah, could. Yeah, and, uh, and various aspects uh, of a preaching ministry were very appealing. Uh, not so much. I kind of envision uh, maybe living in a small West Tennessee town mm -hmm. and uh, kind of being the preacher at a country church and doing something else and just good place to live, raise a family. And, uh, but I was, I was preaching every Sunday and had been for a year or two. Mm -hmm. And Darlene think, I think she realized that here's what I'm slowly becoming, <laughs> slowly becoming. Yeah. So, uh, and if I hadn't been a preacher, I mean, she said she wanted to marry a preacher, but more than anything, she wanted to marry me. <laughs> I don't know why, but, uh, uh, so, uh. Uh, I was 20, and uh, and after maybe four, five, six months, I says, yeah, I, I can see this. It feels right. Uh, looking back, maybe here's where all these lines were converging mm -hmm. that I didn't see how related there were. Yeah. But yeah. it's 
uh, you know, it's coming together and kind of that eureka moment. Uh, I see it now. Yep, spirit's working. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then uh, I realized, well, I don't know anything. So (laughs) I need to go back. And my first two years at Freed Hardeman, I spent way more time in the gym than I did the library. Okay. And uh, that last semester, uh, I arranged so that I had classes on Tuesday and Thursday. And I was barely on campus any of the time. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I wasn't serious. In fact, when we got married and I went back, I think my grade point average rose from a 1.8 to a 3.8 just yeah. overnight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had matured and grown up some. And uh, so that's kind of the coming together. Mm-hmm. And so that would have been uh, finished up. Freed Hardeman in 1976, and uh, even during that time, I was driving down into Mississippi every Sunday yeah, and preaching for a little country church. I thought little country churches were my calling, yep. and I guess the Lord has led me in different ways, but yeah. uh, so, you know, that was nearly 50 years ago, and in some ways, it's not such a dramatic surprising story, but just kind of a slow, I mean, you put lasagna in the oven and it takes a while to bake and get ready. And I guess that was the first 20 to 22 years of my life. Yeah. Any, uh, any spiritual hard times for you during that? I can't honestly say that I have had a real crisis of faith in the sense of doubting there is a God. Yeah. Uh, And uh, I know that others have, and my goodness, I've sat down with enough of them and tried to be as uh, empathetic and uh, understanding as I can be, Mm -hmm. and I know it's real. But I've never come to the ledge where... You know, I could jump off or fall off. Yeah, uh, there have been disappointments along the way, frustrations yeah. plenty. Mm. Yep. Uh, every now and then, a preacher will pack up and go somewhere else because he's had it. My goodness, even Paul shook the dust off his oh, feet. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and sometimes a church will change preachers because they've had it with him. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, through the years, uh, there's been, uh, I don't really think of preaching as a career. Mm-hmm. I think it's more of a calling and way of life. Yep. Yeah. But there are, I suppose, from that standpoint, career decisions. Uh, do I stay in Tennessee? Uh, we had an opportunity to go to St. Louis. Yeah. Thought it would be the work of our life. Eh, didn't turn out that yeah. way. Yeah. Uh, uh, so to back you up a touch. Yeah. So what would you say would be, if you can, the one thing that convicted you to, to be a minister? I mean, besides your ability to do it, I know you've mentioned that. Yeah. Was there anything else that kind of called you into it? Well, you know, and I've thought through that through the years. Uh, Sometimes there is one uh, fork in the road moment. Yeah. And you've already mentioned the lasagna, everything coming together, but I'm just trying to see if we can pinpoint it. With me, it's more like a uh, double barrel shotgun. Uh, My dad's influence. Yeah. and, And then Darlene. Uh, yeah, yep. jumping in at the right time. That was probably the, the good push. <laughs> so uh, I, I think I still would have been active. I would have been a deacon, maybe an elder. Uh, I, I would still be serving as best I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think probably without those two things being the catalyst, uh, it would not have led to a full-time pulpit. Life. So, you're now on the road to your preacher, right? So, we're sitting in Colorado Springs at Pike's Peak Church of Christ. How'd you, how'd you get here? And, you know, I don't want to be like, well, I just went here, 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 but like, what? Yeah, this way? Uh, we vacationed in Colorado, like, I mean, here at Pike's Peak, we get a world of 
people that come from Kansas and Iowa and they're going to do the peak mm-hmm. and uh, and we're the only congregation on the west side of Colorado Springs mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, uh, those that stay in motels and whatnot uh, they really ought to know about the good brethren up at Woodland Park I don't <laughs> think a lot of them do so uh, you know in 1970, uh, before my senior year in high school. And our camper, we stayed down here at the Garden of the Gods campground, did the peak, uh, came to Sunday morning worship right here in this building. Yep. I can show you where we sat. Yep. I was 17 years old and never thought that, good gracious, 30 years later I would move here. Yep. But uh, through the years we had vacationed out here, uh, had a friend at Lyman, and uh, he said, you, you ought to come out here. You ought to come out here. And I says, well, tell you what, if you ever hear of one of these places opening up, needing a preacher, uh, I'm sure there are plenty of other good congregations all through the state, and I don't know a whole lot about the congregations, but... I kind of like the Durango area. I like the Grand Junction area. I like Colorado Springs. I subscribe to the Rocky Mountain Christian, my goodness, since uh, they first invented the printing press, I guess. (laughs) And so kind of kept up. And so he called me one day and said, Pikes Peak has had a little blow up. Still a good congregation. Uh, But... uh, uh, they don't have elders right now, and they need someone uh, kind of like you. Well, he flattered me by that. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, someone that doesn't fly off the handle. And uh, uh, There's does, your playground training coming in. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I reckon so. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, doesn't, uh, you know, is able to kind of rock along and take the long view uh, and not come in. and Well, anyhow, as he talked. Uh, I thought, well, I'll give, I'll give them a call. Yeah. And uh, before your time, there was a fellow named Bill Dawson that helped start the work at Woodland Park. And he was down here. And uh, he was my contact. And Bill wasn't an elder, but he was on the preacher search committee. Sure. Boy, our brethren do things in a different way. <laughs> and we do things in a different way at every single place. Everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyhow, that was kind of the start of it. And uh, uh, Darlene and I flew out for our big tryout weekend, as they say. Yeah. And Any uh, nerves there? By, by then, I had lost my... Nerves. Yeah. Uh, How long have you been preaching at that point? Well, that was 2000. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I'd already been preaching about every Sunday for 30 years. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, all those years of going to different towns, helping small country churches, uh, holding mission meetings, sometimes the... uh, Sojourners, the retired group that travel the country and live in RVs, Mm -hmm. and they go to little bitty churches and campaign for a week. Uh, They would do that, and I would be the preacher in the evenings. Uh, You know, a new situation didn't faze me much. And then, too, there's the sense of God's overriding providence in all that we do. And sometimes we think we know that's what's happening in the moment. Most of the time we need to look back and see, mm-hmm. like in my life, how he brought things how together. Everything worked yeah. together, yeah. So uh, not all that nervous, more curious. Um, what happened here? Uh, does it impact prospects for the long term? Uh I have served in congregations that had factions and cliques, and it's no picnic. Yeah. Uh, is everybody here mostly on the same page now? So that's what I was looking for. Yeah. And 
whatever they were looking for. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, uh, we agreed to work together. And so that was, like I say, uh, that was December of twenty of 2000. So yeah. we're coming up on 21 years ago. Yeah. yeah. And so at that point, 30 years, right? And now, now you're at 50 years. What has been, what's kept you going? What's kept the, the fire going? There are some incidental aspects or perks mm-hmm. of the job. Uh, they're not financial, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, every day, every day is a bit different. Yeah, and uh, and my brethren are very understanding. Right now, uh, we had a power outage, and my office computer is down. So, last two or three days, I've been working at home, and. You can't do anything without a computer nowadays. Yeah, so, no. uh, and, and that's fine. Uh, if I'm out uh, visiting, uh, sitting in the hospital waiting room while somebody's being operated on, with a congregation of our size, and we're not a big congregation, but, you know. Good we, size. We, yeah, we've got more than a couple hundred people that yeah. uh, we keep up with. So uh, there's something a little bit different every day, and it's not the routine of a nine-to-five job. Yep. And uh, so that kind of keeps a fella fresh, I think. Yeah. And and then underneath all of that, well, you could take that away, but underneath all of that, there needs to be the servant heart and the Mm -hmm. commitment to service. Yeah. And And you've you've shown that. uh, Well, and so... uh, uh, my dad used to paraphrase a quote from Matthew Henry. My goodness, Matthew Henry died back in the 1700s, so he's one of those old classic commentators. Yep. And I looked up the quote once that he got it from, and I like the way that my dad turned it even better. But he said that preaching is the sorriest trade but the highest calling. So if you look at preaching and you're just looking at salary, pension, which there is none. uh, (laughs) Not on this earth. (laughs) Insurance. uh, Yeah, my father always said uh, his retirement is out of this world. (laughs) Yeah, well, there you go. So if you're looking at preaching like you would if you were going to be an accountant Mm -hmm. or nearly anything else, well, preaching doesn't much measure up on that scale. But the reason why we preach is not uh, for the reward here, the prestige, uh, the money. Uh, kind of always been curious to me. Paul would talk about those lovers of filthy money back in his day that mm-hmm. were making inroads in the church. I want to know where they were making it because <laughs> I've never, I've never, I've never seen it. And uh, mm-hmm. but uh, I think that's why. And I know there's a lot of dropouts after a few years of ministry, and I don't want to minimize that. Sometimes it's a financial have-to. Sometimes it's a family situation. Sometimes it's a burnout because you're living uh, before the public. uh, Yeah, but what what is it? I mean, because Alec is, you know, new to ministry. I'm thinking about it. Like, what what kept you going? Like, what advice would you give us? It would be... Knowing after everything is said and done, the Lord has given you one talent, three talents, mm-hmm. five talents, whatever. The Lord gives us all an ability. Mm-hmm. And there are some good men who ought not preach. Uh, they, uh, there's a lot of preachers that move every two or three years because they've exhausted their material, and they got to go somewhere else. Uh, and so it's not a job for the lazy or those who are not constantly reading new books, exploring new ideas, uh, open to new 
challenges. And, uh, and there are some men that probably don't have the temperament to work with a local congregation. And, you know, they could teach in our Bible colleges. They could be a professor. Uh, they could write books. Uh, they could be on the lectureship circuit and go different places and present outstanding lessons. But day after day, week after week, year after year in the local family, they're just not cut out for that. So I think that's something that we need to evaluate and get a handle on maybe before we take that step. Mm -hmm. But uh, I kind of knew that I had that kind of temperament. That's great and, advice. Uh, and so after all is said and done, you know that the talents that the Lord has blessed you with, you haven't buried them, mm -hmm. but you've put them into his service. And whatever... Uh, Whatever the influence, whatever the accomplishments, whatever the results may be, uh, you know, the parable of the sower, that fellow that sowed the seed even on the hard and rocky ground, that took just as much time and energy and effort and care as the fellow sowing the seed in the good ground. Mm -hmm. And where some seed sown results in a hundredfold and some you don't get a you don't even get a sod crop out of it. Yeah. Uh, that, that's not the point. The point is to live for the Lord and to love the Lord and in some way try to instill that feeling, that passion, that desire in others along the way and help folks go to heaven. Yeah. Yep. So oh. that's, that's kind of the bottom line for me. Yeah. Now, on the flip side of that coin, has there been difficult times in your ministry i mean 50 years there's no way it's been a cakewalk the whole time uh, yeah uh you know from time to time uh there's been uh a situation there's been someone that's probably just as stubborn as i am and uh i don't i think i can honestly say i haven't been in a situation where there's so much an ego clash. There have been situations where I think some have resented a loss of control or a dominant say-so position. Mm -hmm. And uh, I like those situations where uh, we get together in a room and mull things over and we walk out, and all of us are committed to the best idea, the best approach, no matter who first suggested it. Mm -hmm. That's not always the case. So uh, I think those are kind of petty struggles, but sometimes they're enough to discourage a fellow. Yeah. And, uh, and I know that there are preachers that are more polished, more eloquent, that are smarter, that are better looking, and ever bit as sincere as I am, and for some reason they couldn't absorb those blows, and so they're doing something else now. I thought you were talking about Alec at first. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but you know, uh, even if a fella could honestly say that he could, uh, that he could rake together and put together in a wheat bundle those events in his life. Mm -hmm. uh, still, that pales when we're looking at our overall goal. So, I, you know, the old cliche that everybody is knocked down, not everybody gets back up. You know, playing football, uh, there was kind of the art of uh, not taking a blow full head on, yeah, but uh, kind of positioning yourself where it was more of a glancing blow, yeah, and not devastating. And I think that can also be true in ministry. Mm -hmm. That uh, thank the good Lord that uh, the situations that I've been in that are discouraging are not defeating, mm -hmm. and uh, I give Him 
the great credit for that, and then maybe in some small way, uh, because through no intent of my own or conscious intent to develop, I think that just seems to be, uh, I can remember the teacher saying uh, after a playground fist fight and every kid shouting and everything in an uproar, well, there's Grady standing off to the side. And, you know, he just, uh, you know, he apparently uh, he doesn't like to fight. (laughs) And every now and then I had to because uh, somebody thought that. And uh, and enough is enough. But uh, So you're an extreme optimistic person. In the long run, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think there are times to frankly access and acknowledge a dead-end situation. Mm-hmm. Yep. And again, the Apostle Paul did. Yep. Uh, you know, he picked himself up, and before long, he went on down the road to the next town, the next people. Uh, had a heartbreaking, uh, pretty, you would think, humiliating experience in Athens where the best and the brightest minds of town said, Oh, Paul, you know, we, we may have you back one of these days mm-hmm. and hear you again and didn't convince anybody. So, you know, uh, sometimes doors are closed in your face, and uh, but it doesn't mean there's not another open door somewhere. Yeah, or a window. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a uh, question here at the end uh, comes to, you've heard your story, fascinated of, uh, about your story, where, where you came from, how you got where you are, but kind of our mission with this uh, podcast, uh, basing it off of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, uh, where Paul says, And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This idea of Paul passing this message of leadership and uh, service to Timothy and then him finding others to pass it to others and so on and so forth until we get to here, what would be your advice uh, to the next generation? How do you pass this on and get my generation or even my my kids' generation uh, excited and and wanting to serve in the Lord's church and, and want to pass that on to the next generation? And you know... Knowing that this was a podcast not specifically aimed at my generation that doesn't know what a podcast is, (laughs) Um, and and thinking about uh, these kind of questions, I know that there are exceptional men and women who come later in life and are converted to Christ and are then filled with a passion and enthusiasm. And I I know, I know that happens. We have those people here at Pikes Peak. Mm -hmm. You have them at Woodland Park and everywhere else. So I know there's that side of the coin. I would say that from my experience, uh, the example that is modeled before us when we're young and the activities and opportunities presented to us when we're young have such an overwhelming lifelong influence. Uh, I think your story, uh, Alec, you talked about being in the singing youth of Denver. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, uh, and I know so many kids, and that was uh, a very important thing in their spiritual awakening yeah. Yeah. and developing. And uh, and I think of that every time we have a vacation Bible school and we call our little fellas up to the front. Uh, our VBS, our little girls sometimes come up too, and yeah. that's, that's just fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in that format. Mm-hmm. And they stand beside the song leader, uh, and look at mom and dad and everybody else, but they're up front. And I can remember doing that even before I started to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I can remember the kids coming up in front of the congregation and from time to time reciting the memory verse they learned in Bible class. I think the more that we can 
get our young people engaged while they're young, and it doesn't have to be tremendous uh, look-at-me moments, Mm -hmm. but it's uh, the idea of we're doing something, and we all have a role to play. We all have a service that we can contribute, and uh, keeping them engaged. Yep. Uh, Letting them know they have an integral part uh, in this. <laughs> I would love to think that my Sunday morning 30-minute sermon is so overwhelming and it's persuasive content <laughs> that everybody sees this. Mm-hmm. But I think that more than anything, you have to live it, you have to show it, and you have to get people while they're still in those developing years. And that pays dividends. Not that other approaches can and don't work, uh, but the older I get, the more I think I place a weight mm-hmm. on, we call them youth programs, and I guess they are that. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in my day, we didn't have a youth minister or an organized way of getting our young people. It was just something that was natural and family-oriented. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I would highly recommend that. Yeah. And are you doing a program or something like that here at Pikes Peak? You know, here at Pikes Peak, we're of the size that uh, I suppose, in a way, that's a reflection of the modern congregation uh, I have my specific duties I'm tasked to do, mm-hmm. and it's mostly geared around uh, the pulpit preaching and the teaching first. And my good friend, Kevin Ballard, yeah. uh, who works with me here, and one of these days you need to talk with, yep. uh, he gives more attention to that. And now I'm in the enjoyable role of I'll bring the snacks uh, to help and uh, I'll uh, walk around and kind of get plugged in where I'm needed Uh, but it's not my first priority Uh, but in the years before uh, when I was working with smaller congregations and the preacher wore every hat there was Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Gave so much more attention to that. But then again, I wasn't 68 years then, yeah. old then, with yeah. my kids grown up and gone. You yeah. know, my kids were part of the youth group. Exactly. So, uh, you know, there was a much more heavier involvement then. And I suppose that's just, that just comes with an inevitable passing of the years. Yeah. Passing the torch on, so to speak, to the, yeah. to the next generation. Yeah. Yep. And now you're a. You're a mentor to those in that role, right? Because you've already been through it, and they can come to you with questions. It's it's a delight uh, when the little fellas. uh, We've taken a hit here in the age of COVID where the preacher doesn't stand at the back, or we don't do here. I don't know about Woodland Park, but don't shake everybody out. And uh, the little kids come by, and they pull on my pant leg. And... uh, uh, sometimes they come back to the office, and I on my filing cabinet, I've got the artwork held up by the magnets yep. of uh, this is what I did. And uh, so I know in my life, when I was a little bitty boy, I would sometimes sit on the front row with the preacher and fall asleep during his sermon. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, he... He was not a figure to be worshipped, but he was important in the life of the church, and not so much because of how smart he was or anything else, but because of what he was doing. And But it's not just the preacher doing it. It's all of us doing. Mm-hmm. So uh, that role as an example or mentor or uh, I don't think I'd say father figure, but, uh, you know, something along that line, I think, is important in the life of our children. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Well, uh, I don't have any more questions uh, for Grady unless you have something, uh, Kevin. No, I don't have any more questions. Thank you so much. We are, we can't express how thankful we are that you gave two guys a shot 
that had you know no track record of doing any of this before and you know uh, i called you and you're like yeah i don't know what you're talking about but come on down you know we really appreciate yeah it's awesome your willingness uh, to well if if a preacher doesn't have somewhat the gift of gab <laughs> and can talk about nearly anything uh you know we need to have knowledge that is a mile wide and an inch deep <laughs> so uh most of us can talk about anything yeah. but especially when it comes to the lord's work uh, God bless you in this endeavor, and I'm thank you. glad to be here yeah, with yeah. you today. Thank you so much.